praise God, Brother Tony's, I saw Tony up here leading worship, where is it, there he is, oh, back in the, uh, uh, you guys miss Tony, we love Tony, so it's, it's great that you visit us, you know, you don't have to visit us all the time, but you know, just every other week or so, it'd be fine, so, you know, but it's great to see you, what's that? I still didn't hear it, but, okay, well, good to see you, bro. Uh, Lord is good, amen. So, uh, you know what? I've been doing a little series on joy, devotional series, just, you know, that we could have the joy of the Lord more. And Steve said, because he was like trying to talk up here and bring people back into their seats and stuff and give the announcements. And uh, sometimes we go a little late, not all the time, once in a while, because we can't get you back in the seats. But usually it's my fault, I confess, you know, almost always. But and that's a good thing. That's hard sometimes. And Steve said, it's hard to get people back in their seats, you know, because there's joy in the house. I love that, you know. There's joy in the house. That's something we as Christians have that the world doesn't have. You can't measure it, but you can see it. You can measure it physiologically to a degree, happiness and so forth. But it's just interesting because you can go to even rehab places or you can go to AA meetings and you're not going to see this kind of joy because it's a joy that comes from the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love and peace and joy. And there's something so beautiful about it. And uh, I've started a little series. We did a couple on them. Try not to do too many of them uh, at once because I want to get through the book of Revelation. And we've got just so many, just handful of verses left, right? But I thought, man, I like to have a parting shot too. If I'm like, and I mean that in a good way, if I go speak somewhere, I like, you know, who knows? You know, I mean, I should be back. But I like to give, you know, a message that will... Thank you so much, bro. Appreciate that. Why are you giving me water? Oh, it's obvious. I'm teasing you. Oh, it's even warm. You're smart too. Jesus said cold water though, bro, but I'm sure you'll I'm sure the principle is still the same, so. <laughs> oh, it's like got peppermint in it? Excuse me, this is good. Wow. Wow, man. That's supposed to clean it clear out too. Amen. I've been too busy. I wanted to do something this morning in my throat, but I was just working my message the entire time. But uh, you guys, the Lord wants you to have the joy, his joy, the joy of the Lord. He wants you to experience his joy. Amen. And as Christians, we will experience his joy, but we'll also experience hardships. We'll go through times. We'll have to fight sin. We'll have to fight the world and the flesh and the devil, right? We'll have to fight all, all sorts of things. And but there's things that can impede our joy. It's a fruit of the Spirit is joy. Love, peace, joy, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. Against such there is no law. These things, there's no law. I mean, these are wonderful things in the Lord. But your joy can be impeded very easily through unforgiveness. So I've given a few messages now, joy through him. You know, he, Jesus says, my joy I give unto you, amen. Our true joy only comes through being related and connected to Jesus, amen. And we talked about joy through fellowship and joy through this and that. And now we're on joy through forgiving, through forgiving others. Because refusing to forgive can radically impede your capacity to experience God's joy. And I think it's very important that we understand this principle. You see, it's inevitable that everyone will be stabbed in the back. It's inevitable that 
everyone will go through hardships and be offended by others at times. In fact, in Luke 71, Jesus said to the disciples, it is impossible that no offense should come. Offenses are going to come. And he does say, woe to the one by whom they come. They're going to be under judgment. But you're going to be offended. And in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus talked about the last days. And we've been in the last days since the cross, in one sense. Because it was the inauguration of the kingdom, spiritually speaking, but not the consummation of the kingdom yet. That doesn't happen when Jesus comes and our bodies are transformed. But the, the last of the end times take place with the tribulation period, but there's birth pains that lead up to it. And those birth pains are very severe. And Jesus says, brother will offend brother. That's New King James Version. NASB will betray brother. You'll be betrayed by brothers and sisters in Christ. Increasingly so, tragically, during the tribulation period, people turning people in because they're not taking the, the shot. I mean, the mark of the beast, you know. <laughs> not that, they're, not that they're, they're the same, but you can see where this is ultimately going to head up, you know, head, head, you know. Because they're not taking the mark of the beast, they'll be turned in. And that's to, you know, not buy or sell unless you have the n name or the number of the Antichrist, which is, according to John, it says, in fact, I was just... Uh, Big Jim, he loves to get coffee. I get coffee once in a blue moon, but we fellowshiped and we went and grabbed some coffee. And uh, it was a new coffee place that seen me. He goes, hey, it's just down the road. You want to, you know, let's go there. And I'm sure. And I went there and, and the gal had 777 on her, you know. And so I thought, oh, maybe she's a believer, 777, you know. And, uh, and she's like, and I, and I go, hey, you know. And I said, hey, you know what that stands for? I mean, I'm glad you don't have 666 on there, you know? And then, uh, and then Jimmy goes, you know, he goes, are you superstitious? Because she said it had nothing to do with the Bible. It's just for good luck. Jimmy goes, are you superstitious? And she goes, yeah. And he goes, well, it's bad luck to be superstitious, you know? And uh, <laughs> I thought, that poor girl. But she said, why is 666 wrong? And I just quoted Revelation 13, 16 through 18, because it says that the Antichrist, he causes all. Actually, it's talking about the false prophet right there. and That he caused all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free and the bond, to be given a mark either on the right head or on their forehead. And that no one could buy or sell unless they have the, the name of the beast or the number of the name. And the number of his name is 666, or in the King James, 603 score and six. And then I provided to talk about the number seven. You know, how there's seven colors to the rainbow, seven notes to a musical scale, seven days to a week, and all these seven judgments in the book of Revelation. And I proceeded to share the gospel briefly with her, what Jesus had done for her. But it's interesting because when you look at the scriptures, we are going into times where things are going to get really ugly. But right now, they're really ugly. Crime is on the increase. And sometimes they'll fudge the numbers because now they don't consider a lot of things crimes anymore, do they? So, wow, crimes will drop in certain areas, yeah, because you don't consider things evil anymore, you know? But they're actually increasing in many ways, and, and you're going to be offended. But I've taught you that we're in a spiritual war, and as a pastor, I have to emphasize, and I do emphasize, because I think all pastors really ought to, and we don't do it enough, uh, to talk about spiritual warfare, because we are under assault by the enemy. There is a target on you. Like when God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Wasn't as Job said, oh, who is he? He says, you put a hedge around him. Ooh, he was considering him. He wanted to destroy Job. He was already on that, man. And God, you know, 
basically said, he, will never, he won't curse me, he won't deny me, you know, and he didn't, but he went through a radical trial. And there were issues of unforgiveness that could have come up because he called his friends miserable comforters. Remember that? And his wife was saying, curse God and die. You know, there's so many issues he was already dealing with. But can you imagine the pain he was going through? You see, we have to keep in mind that we are under spiritual attack. In fact, go to, well, you don't have to go there. I just mentioned some verses to you in Ephesians chapter 6. And then we'll go to some other places. But in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, you can go there. But it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You've got to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. You can't overcome temptation not to forgive and other temptations without God's power, not the way God wants you to overcome. And he goes for, and he says, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against all the schemes of the devil. For it rests like against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of the world, against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. These things are out to attack us, these demonic entities under Satan's power. So he says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Again, he repeats it, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. We all have evil days, amen? Well, everybody has knives hanging out of their back from time to time. The question is, will you leave those knives in there and let them fester and refuse to forgive. You see, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul talks about this. Four? Well, I, I get it high notes when I got a little bit of a, a cold here, man. Wow. In Ephesians chapter 4, uh, playoffs. You guys remember that? Playoffs. Yeah, that was a famous uh, coach, you know, talking about did they think they'd make, make, you know, reach the playoffs. Sorry, things come to your mind, you know. Playoffs? Who said playoffs? You know, and he starts getting, you know, riding on the reporter. And, uh, but it's interesting. In Ephesians 4, Paul says to be angry, but don't sin. I mean, you're going to be upset sometimes. And it could be a righteous anger because somebody did something really wrong. God, God has righteous anger. He never has evil anger. So you could be upset over something, but he says, don't sin in it. Don't break God's moral law, and then you're doing the same thing. You're upset with somebody else? Be, break God's moral law. He says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. I mean, don't stew. Deal with things, right? There's different ways we deal with things, but one way is through prayer and what have you. He says, don't give a foothold to who? The devil. Because you can give a foothold to the devil. In the Greek, it means, a you don't know what a foothold is, right? But you can give space to the devil in your life. People use that verse to say Christians can be possessed. I don't believe Christians can be possessed because of the idea of space there. But I believe you can give space to the presence of the devil in your life. And how do you do it? Through unforgiveness, right? Through unforgiveness. And it's interesting because in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, let's go there. Paul talks to the church there at Corinth about their refusal to forgive. Not every one of them. You see, there was some horrendous wickedness in that church. In 1 Corinthians, you see a man that's having relations sexually with his father's wife. And we don't know if he says his father's wife because it was his stepmom, which would still be really wicked, or because... He wants us to understand how bad the sin was with his own natural mom because he's actually not just having sex with his mom, but he's doing it to his father's 
his wife. So we can't know for sure. Either way, it's a heinous, it's a heinous sin. And you know what? Paul says to excommunicate that man from your midst. Because the church there was, some of the church was celebrating, oh, praise God, we're free in Christ, and he forgives all sin. Look, this guy can even have sex with his, what, his father's wife and get away with it. So we must be able to free to do whatever we want. That was wicked. Paul says not even to eat with that man. Because he says, I've handed him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit may be, not for sure will be, but his spirit may be saved in the day of salvation. And he goes on to say, don't be deceived, neither fornicators or adulterers or homosexuals or effeminate or drunkards or revilers or extortioners. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived about this, Paul said. Uh, I'd say most of the professing evangelical church today, especially through radio preaching and a lot of TV preaching, is deceived on that issue. We know that. It's really scary. Satan's, it harkens back to Satan's original deception. Hath God said, if you eat, you shall not surely die. Contradicting God's word. But this man was in dire straits. But if he repented, the Bible says in James 5, 19, 20, brethren, if any of you turn from the truth and one brings him back, he'll save a soul from death and hide a multitude of sins. Amen? So by handing him over to Satan, he could learn. In fact, Paul talks about turning false teachers named Hymenaeus and Philetus in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, over to Satan, that they would learn not to blaspheme. But they were taken captive to do Satan's will, according to 2 Timothy chapter 2, at the end of the chapter there. And so it's interesting that this man was in rebellion to God. Paul had him excommunicated. Then when you get to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it appears to be the same man. God was kind and not given his exact name. That was mercy. But this man comes back. And Paul says sufficient was the punishment afflicted by the majority. In other words, the majority of the church agreed. Some probably in the church were like, we shouldn't put him out of the church. That's cruel. That's mean. We should be tolerant of wickedness and sin. Although I'm sure they didn't say it that way. But the majority of the church agreed. This guy needs to be put out of the fellowship. But now apparently he's come back to the fellowship. He's repentant. Now that was, Paul said, even the Gentiles don't do this kind of wickedness. So this was a scourge on the reputation of the church. So this man steps back into the church. Could you imagine a lot? Now, the people that were like, oh, just, it's okay. Just forgive him. He can continue doing this no matter what. They were in error, but now they're seeing him come back if they're still in that fellowship. But those who said, hey, this guy should not be here. This Paul says a little bit leaven. Leaven's a whole lump, meaning this will affect the entire church. The church will just be destroyed because if you let sin run amok and you know it's happening, you don't deal with it, it's like yeast, Paul says in that chapter, and it just affects the whole lump of dough. So it has to be dealt with, amen? So he comes back, but then you have some that were like the Pharisee, or I should say the prodigal son's older brother. Remember him? He was upset that his father was going to forgive. Ha! And have a big feast for his brother who came back. Because we're all about mercy when it happens to us. But sometimes we can struggle. That's our flesh. We don't want to be ruled by the flesh when there's mercy on others who've created a great, great sin. So he's, they start, you know, some of them don't want to forgive him. They don't want him back in the fellowship. You know? They don't want to uh, love on him. And I remember one time years ago, there was a, a, a brother who was new in the fellowship, pretty really new. 
He fell into adultery. Actually, he was in that situation, I guess, when he came in at first, struggling in his relationship. And we had to, you know, he left the fellowship. But sometime later, a few years later, he had repented. And he wanted to come back into the fellowship. And I remember there was a lady who was coming from out of town to our fellowship for probably a few years that time. But she had a hard time with him coming back. And she, have, she left the church. See, but hey, if you're going to have a, a rancorous heart toward people and not forgiving, you can live in the church too and spread that kind of stuff around. So we're about forgiveness. We're about mercy. We're about love. And, and, uh, but at the same time, we're also about restoration and repentance. Amen? And you're not restored unless there's repentance. So you can err on both sides. But look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, what Paul says in verse Six, sufficient for the one is the, this punishment which was inflicted by the majority, so that on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Wherefore, I urge you to affirm your love for him. For to this end also I wrote, so that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. Verse 10. But one whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Let's look at verse 11 now. It's very important. Because we're talking about Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 and 11, right? Specifically. And they're supposed to put on the whole armor of God, right? So you can stand firm against the schemes or the devices of the devil. Well, look what he says here. So that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. One of Satan's greatest schemes is unforgiveness. Ephesians 4, be angry, don't sin, don't let sin go down your anger, don't give a foothold to the devil. It's, it's warfare, man. We're not ignorant of Satan's devices, he says here, Right? He wants to take advantage of us. So one of his greatest devices, and sometimes I've told the story of a guy that has this like vision and he goes to hell and he sees all these storehouses of different seeds and he's like, what are these storehouses for? And they're marked like, you know, resentment and unforgiveness and discontentment. And, and he was told by the angel that each of these storehouses are the seeds that Satan plants in people's hearts. Well, I don't think that vision is true because Satan doesn't rule in hell, you know. Uh, the Bible, he hasn't, he's going to be thrown there someday, but he's not going to rule at all there. But guess what? He does have certain tactics, and if that was true, the storehouse that was, had seeds for unforgiveness and bitterness and malice and anger and hatred would be the, among the biggest because those are some of his greatest tools to use in our lives. Unforgiveness. Because we all, like I said, have been stabbed We've all had people maliciously try to hurt us uh, in one way or another. And you can't think, well, people don't know what I've been through. A lot, you don't know what a lot of people have been through. Not to minimize anything that you've gone through or are going through because people have been abused. People have been in, in all kinds of ways. And it breaks God's heart. But just know you're not alone. You're not alone. In fact, Paul reminds them, or Peter too, in 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, that we're to remember the tribulations that our brothers are going through throughout the world. Now, in Ephesians, Paul states, you know, uh, he goes on to say, 
after he says not to give a foothold to the devil, he says, be kind, verse 31, or verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. These are like footholds the devil gets, right? But then he says in verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted. For, now this is key. Forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Wow. We're supposed to forgive one another the same way Jesus forgave us. Did Jesus just forgive us some of our sins or most of them or a little bit or all the way? If we confess our sins, faithful just forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, go to uh, first, or Matthew chapter 6. The famous, uh, most popular, famous prayer of all time is in Matthew 6. We call it the Lord's Prayer. It's probably better called the uh, Disciples' Prayer because Jesus never prayed this prayer. He probably prayed a lot of this prayer at times, because, but he never said one of the main key in this passage, Father, forgive us our sins. Right? Because Jesus never would pray for forgiveness of his sins because he never sinned. Amen? Amen? But he gives this to his disciples. You can still call it the Lord's Prayer because it's the prayer that the Lord gave them. But in verse 9, pray then, Jesus says this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now what's interesting about this is there's so much to that prayer, but we're focusing on forgiveness. But we're actually, we talk about us being forgiven all the time. We talk about the cross all the time. Amen. The love of God all the time. But today we're talking more about our need to forgive. But there's two very important things being stated here. Father, forgive us our sins. It's like, a, and it's a covenantal. As we forgive those who've sinned against us. You cannot pray this prayer successfully if you refuse to forgive. Because you're saying, Father, forgive us our sins. As, in the same way, we forgive those who sinned against us. So you're saying, Father, if, forgive us the way we're forgiving. So if we're forgiving, forgive us and you'll forgive us. But Father, forgive us in the same way that, that we're forgiving or others. But if you're not forgiving others, you're basically saying the same way, don't forgive me. You're actually praying not to be forgiven then. It's crazy when you think about it. It's gnarly. And the Bible says in James chapter 2, I can't wait to go through James with you guys, coming up soon. James chapter 2, that God gives mercy to the merciful, but to the unmerciful, he gives judgment. It reminds me of that wicked king in the Old Testament. Every time he caught someone, he cut off their thumbs and their big toes. Jesus said, the measure that you measure out to others will be measured to you. You know when he was caught, what they did to him? Cut off his thumbs and his big toes. And if you're wishing harm upon people, that's a wicked thing you need to cast down in the name of Jesus and say, Lord, have mercy on me. Change my heart. Help me not to live in that thought. You know, Help me to recognize that could be me. And it's important because if you're not having mercy, you're getting judgment. You know, remember the... Uh, they brought that woman to Jesus who was caught in adultery and they wanted her stoned to death and they were trying to test Jesus. Remember what he did? He got on the ground. What did he start doing? Started writing. Now I'm curious, what was he writing? It doesn't say. But I believe we get a little indication of what it perhaps was because I only see God writing two other times in Scripture. 
when he wrote on stone with his finger the commandment, the Ten Commandments. Remember that? And another time in the book of Daniel, he wrote that the king is partying with the utensils stolen from the temple in Jerusalem, and he's getting drunk and partying, and all of a sudden a hand starts writing on the wall. You have been weighed and have found wanting. And it was a pronouncement of judgment. He was judged that very night. That is crazy. So I don't, I have little doubt that that's what Jesus was doing. Okay, you're condemning her. Write down their sins. And one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, they left. I think the oldest got it first. Uh Uh-oh. They probably had more sin too. I'm out of here. Younger guy's like, I didn't do that yet. I didn't do that yet. See, Jesus, you know. And I think uh, we got to be really, really concerned because if you're going to condemn others for falling short and what have you, when you point to others, man, you have a bunch of fingers pointing right back at you because you're also, we're also, all of us are guilty. Now, it's interesting because there's one postscript that Jesus gave to this prayer when he gave the Sermon on the Mount. One P.S. He gives a P.S. There's seven requests, but he, he only deals with one of those request in his PS or postscript. And that is verse 14. For if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will what? Also forgive you. Verse 15. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Wow. Lamentations 3.44 says of the Lord, you have covered yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can get through. If you wickedly refuse to forgive others, you will not be forgiven. And it's interesting because Jesus talked about how murder is not just, and one of the things that made me think about doing joy through forgiving others, we talked about joy through forgiveness just a little bit, that we're, we get joy from being forgiven, right? Happy is the one whose sins are not credited to them. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Praise God, we rejoice that we've been forgiven, amen? But this is not that study. This is totally different. You get joy through forgiving others, because if you refuse to forgive others, your heart will be held captive by the evil one. And you'll experience anger and bitterness and things like that instead of love and joy. And it's a real war. It's a real war. We all go through it from time to time. Because as I said, we all get stabbed in the back. Everybody gets offended, as I read from Scripture. But if we are despising other people with attitudes of hatred and bitterness and malice and unforgiveness, uh, we're, back, we're doing it to our, the peril of our own soul. In fact, Look at Matthew chapter 5, since we're so close, verse 21. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 21, You have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, You brood, are you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, You fool, shall be guilty enough to go to the fiery hell. Wow. Therefore, you are presenting your offering. Uh, therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, say you come in here and you get with the brothers and sisters and you're giving praise to the Lord, to his altar in heaven. Amen. And there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your, your offering. 
So he deals with two things, us having anger and hatred toward others and us having to deal with somebody else who has it toward us. And if you know there's something up, it's important to make things right with people. Verse 25, make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you'll be thrown into prison. So now he uses an example and real life examples for them with concrete, concrete example of what happens spiritually. And look, listen to what he says. This is pretty heavy. Verse 25 or 26. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. Wow. So he says, if you'll be guilty before the court, he says, you'll be sentenced to hell, a fiery hell. He's like saying, hey, hell's not a good place, it's a fiery hell, if you refuse to be reconciled with people. Now, you can't control someone's hatred or anger toward you. You can have an influence on that by saying you're sorry, going to them and say, hey, I've offended you. Maybe it's true, maybe it isn't. A lot of times there's misunderstandings or people, even if there's not a misunderstanding of a concrete thing, there's misunderstanding of motives. And people have a way of assigning the worst motives to other people, but the best motives to themselves with the same actions. And it should not be that this way, brothers and sisters. We should love keeps no record of things done wrong. First Corinthians 13, amen. We need to walk in love, not in anger and hatred. And it's not like this happy medium in between. Well, I'm a little bit loving, I'm a little bit hateful. No, man. The same stream can't come from the same mouth. So it's important that we understand that despising a person through attitudes of hatred and so forth does indeed imperil our souls. And you get thrown into hell. Jesus said, you get thrown into hell, you won't get out until you pay your whole debt. Until you pay every cent, he said. Every last penny. We can never pay off our debt. Now go to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 Now, Jesus had already told Peter and these guys prior to this, if your brother sins against you up to seven times, seven times, you know, to forgive him. Now, they might have been like, wow, that's, that's quite a task because <laughs> the Jews had a requirement based on a scripture in the Old Testament, but misapplying that verse in the Old Testament, I don't have time to get into it, but other than to say, uh, to forgive three times. So it was... Jews believe you could forgive three times. If someone sinned four times, you'd have to forgive them anymore if they sin against you four times. Well, Jesus says if your brother sins up to you seven times and he comes to you and asks for forgiveness or says, I repent, I should say, forgive him. So Peter, listen to what Peter says. Verse 21, Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall I forgive my, my brother's sin against me? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Like, up to seven? Like, are you sure that's the limit? <laughs> it's kind of an interesting question. Because I, I could be wrong, but that question doesn't get asked if he's not thinking John or someone's heard him more than seven times. He's married. Maybe it's his wife. I don't know. You know? But he's like got this question in his heart. And what's interesting is Jesus' answer is seven times. Oh, back to the number seven, right? is it's a number of like completion. It, it, it's a number of fulfillment. And it's interesting because verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, do you think, do you get it now? I mean, keep forgiving. 
Forgiveness has to be a lifestyle, guys. It has to be a practice. You can't just say, hey, I'm going to deal with this one thing and forgive this, but I'll see what happens in the future whether I want to forgive people. No. When you get the attitude, when you get the mentality, when you get the mindset, it's a lot. Then guess what? When something bad happens, you already have that mindset. You go, this is who I am in Christ. My identity is in Jesus, and he forgave me, so I'm going to forgive others. You You have to have a lifestyle. You can't. Paul says, forgetting those things that lie behind. You know, right now, today, there's like the two biggest NFL games of the year besides the very biggest, which is the Super Bowl. Whoever wins these games between what it's, it's the Eagles and, and the uh, 49ers and it's also uh, the, the Bengals and the, the Chiefs. But you know who are the most vulnerable people on the field sometimes? The cornerbacks. The defensive backs are also the safeties, but the cornerbacks are the guys that are out on those islands all by themselves covering some of the speediest men on earth. The best route runners with speed on earth. They've got to cover them. They're on what's called an island. And guess what? There's a lot of trash talking going on from those receivers sometimes, and uh, sometimes, oftentimes from the cornerback. In fact, wide receivers tend to be, you know, some of the most arrogant guys sometimes on the football field, you know, and they'll just talk constant trash to the DBs and the DBs back to them. But you know what? DBs get burned. It's inevitable. There's no cornerback in the league, even the top cornerbacks, Ramsey and others that people think are the best cornerbacks in the league, that don't get burned, that don't get moves put on them, even though they are considered shut-down cornerbacks, man, and nobody has a they, Quarterbacks don't even throw their way sometimes. Guess what? There's times they get burned, right? Well, guess what? When they get burned, if they focus on how they were burned, it affects the rest of their game. In fact, guess what cornerbacks are taught? One of the first things they're taught is a next play mentality, okay? They, they, they're taught that you need to for, forget what happened to you. Forget the last play, forget how you got burned, and have the next play mentality where you're ready for the next play so you can be victorious. Because if you're focused on how you got burned and you're focused on the smack talk of your opponent, guess what? You're going to lose the game. You're just going to be defeated inside. And guess what? It's the same way in the church. Satan talks smack to us. He uses people, curse God and die. Job's wife was basically repeating what Satan said to God, that he'd get him to curse him and die. But we need to have a next play mentality, amen? We need to forget what's happened to us and put it away. Forgive, amen, and move forward. Are you with me? We need to do that, otherwise we'll be defeated. And we won't just lose, we won't lose a game. We'll lose something far more important than the Super Bowl or any other game. You lose your soul. You won't get out until you pay the last penny of, from hell, Jesus said. So it's interesting. Jesus com- talks about this is how the kingdom of God works regarding forgiveness. Verse 23. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, God, brothers and sisters, come on now. I'm not going to spend too much time in this, in this teaching right on this page because I've, spent, you know, I've taught on this in the past, probably been a few years, but uh, when I've actually gone through it with you. But 10,000 talents? Do you realize how much of a debt that is? 10,000 was the biggest numerical, was the biggest number that you could write down in Greek in those days. And talent was the biggest denomination of money. A talent 
was basically an entire life's wages. One talent. So it's like Jesus said, the man owed 10,000 lifetimes of work. Could he pay it back? No. That's a picture of our sin debt, guys. Could never pay it back. So look what he says here. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded, verse 25, him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So he's going to get something back because that's called, you know, a debtor's prison to make things partially right. Can't make it totally right with this guy. So the slave fell on the ground and prostrated himself before him. He fell on the ground laying down saying, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Which was impossible. Verse 27. And the Lord of that, uh, the Lord of that slave felt compassion. That's God's heart. After all we've done, not many times we've stabbed God in the back through our sin. Even evil thoughts, all kinds of things, they all are just horrible. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. A denarius is about a day's wages for labor back then. That's about a hundred days' work. And when I first looked at this parable when I was young, a young Christian, I was like, why didn't Jesus say one denarii or a pence to make the contrast even greater? But I know he's perfect, and we're far from it in our understanding, right? So I said, I wonder why, because I know he's right, but I'm like, huh, that would have made the spirit even greater than I realized. Because guess what? It's easy to forgive a penny or a pence or one day's work. It would be harder to forgive a hundred days' wages. Amen? So he wants to let us, I think he wants, his point is that it still hurts. It's still hard to forgive. But in contrast to 100,000 talents, it's nothing, right? But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. What a contrast. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. Says the same thing that this guy said to to his master. Verse 30, but he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. Wow, he refused to forgive him though. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported their, uh, to their Lord all that had happened. Then, then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave. And by the way, that's not good. When God says you're wicked, because in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, it says, do not be deceived. And I put it this way. The wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay? The wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God. You wicked slave. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have also had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? Catch that? There it is again. Like Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Forgive one another as God has forgiven you in Christ Jesus. He says here, should you not have forgiven him in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers. And by the way, torturers, tormentors, that same Greek word is used by Jesus of hell throughout the synoptics. Hand him over to the torturers until he should what? Repay all that was owed him. 
Okay, or the NLT says, then, then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid the, his entire debt. Up to the last penny again, which Jesus used before. We talk about not being angry and hateful to your brother of hell, the fiery hell. Now, this is amazing. By the way, was the man forgiven, yes or no, first? Yes. yes. Did he lose his forgiveness? Yes. Where did he end up? Hell. Does the Bible teach once forgiven, always forgiven? No. doesn't teach that. That is a false teaching that is not taught in the Bible. Okay? And right now, a lot of people say, oh, well, if you refuse to forgive people, you'll just lose fellowship with God and some rewards in heaven, but, but you'll still make it to heaven. If you become hateful and cynical and evil in your heart and unforgiving, well, you'll just, and you've been forgiven, you'll lose rewards. That's not true. He gives, I lose the soul. Others say, well, if you're really a Christian, you would always forgive people. Really? If you're truly forgiven, well, I'm going to go with Jesus over you because this guy was truly forgiven. In fact, in Matthew 6, Jesus says, pray this way, our Father who art in heaven. He's talking to people, his disciples have a relationship with the Father. Amen? Not, not believers. And if you don't forgive your brother from your heart, neither shall your Father in heaven forgive you, he says. And then right here, look at verse 35. Look what he says to Peter. And not just Peter, he uses a uh, personal plural pronoun when he uses the word you. He's talking about all of them. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you, Peter, if each of you does not, if each of you does not forgive his brother, his brother, we're talking about the family of God, from where? Your heart. Notice where the forgiveness has to reside. It has to be in the heart. It can't just be words. I forgive you, brother. Don't worry about it. Ugh, I hate him. You know, that's not forgiveness from the heart. We're talking about more than just words. We're talking about heart condition. Well, does this mean you have to earn your salvation by forgiving? No. We're saved by grace through faith, not, not of ourselves, gift of God, not of works of sin which should boast. But guess what? There's what we call the fruit of salvation, the evidence of salvation. Amen. So if you're trusting the Lord and you're walking by faith, right, and you're seeking Jesus, forgiveness will be what? It'll be the outcome, the fruit of you having a right heart with God. But if your heart is not right with God because you're consumed with bitterness, you get focused on yourself, then you'll refuse to forgive. And that's why the Bible warns us in Hebrews chapter 3 that none of us are to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Our hearts can become hard. And we can lose, as it says, or leave in Ephesians 2.4, our first love. It says, but I have somewhat against you because thou hast left thy first love. Revelation 2.4. Repent, remember from whence thou art fallen, repent and do what you did at first. So we've got to keep our love light on, man. How is your love light? I want to make sure when I'm hurt by somebody, and like you, everybody's gone through hurts. Everybody feels, you know, mistreated at times. And, and you know, you don't have to live life very long before you find out that friends that call themselves friends or so forth, even as a young guy, I started to see that. Wow. Start to get a real wake-up call that people can be really bad and very self-centered, narcissistic, and evil, and all that, you know? But I want to guard my heart, because the Bible says guard your heart, because out of it come the springs of life, amen? And just as a kid, I, I didn't just pray. I prayed that God would meet the needs of my wife and my children, of course, but, you know, my main prayer is always their hearts. Lord, may they love you. You know, teach them to forgive others. Teach them to love, you know? 
And I, I pray over my kids, you know, pray over, go into the rooms and pray over them and, and so forth. And now my grandkids and my kids and all my brothers and sisters, I pray over you guys. My wife and I do together and we also do separately that our hearts will be right with the Lord. Amen? And that's something we need to take very, very seriously. Because guess what? This is really clear how serious that this is. So we need to have a short memory. That's what the cornerback, right, in the NFL? Cornerbacks need a short memory. Their best cornerbacks have a short memory. They have next play mentality. That way they don't lose. And if we don't have short memories, but we focus on how we've been hurt in the past, and we wish vengeance upon others, and we wish we could retaliate, and we wish their worst, but we don't walk in love, man, we're in serious trouble. And, and, and it's interesting because it not only hurts you spiritually, but unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment hurt you physically. I've read, uh, researchers have found that those who forgive uh, or refuse to forgive others, they experience, okay, and this is interesting, they experience, those who refuse to forgive people, they experience heightened heart rates, right? High blood pressure, heart disease, kidney disease, arthritis. Their bodies become more susceptible to colds and fatigue and infections, now, you can say, but I have those things, but I, I don't have any forgiveness. No, you can have all sorts of things. But, but, this, but this is one of the roots that can cause these things too, right? I mean, you could just not do any exercise and eat really bad, and you can have high blood pressure. Or you could just be susceptible to high blood pressure because of your genetics. I mean, all, all kinds of reasons. But guess what? This is what I found really, really interesting. That, uh, in fact, one study showed that people who refused to forgive took 25% more medication than those who practice forgiveness. Wow. Right? That's interesting. And now, health problems can come for a lot of reasons because we're dying. And the Bible says the outward man is decaying. Amen? But the inner person is being renewed. If you're a Christian, your inner person is being renewed day by day. Amen? But your outer person is decaying. So we're all going to have health problems to one degree or another. But you don't want to speed up your demise because of hatred and anger and bitterness. Amen? And that's what can happen. It's so serious, you know? And, uh, so we want to make sure, those are like, you know, sometimes physical problems can be like the red blinking lights, you know. There's something else going on in your heart. Not always, but sometimes. You know, you get the car and you don't put oil in your, you just, oh, I haven't put oil in my car for 12 years. This is great. I'm just kind of lazy. All of a sudden the light comes on, it's a red light, you know. You know, you know your car's overheating. If you overheat in your car, because of a lack of water, you get more grace. Just a little bit. But if you overheat because you don't have oil, ooh, it's just a matter of time. It's pretty quick. Your engine's going to seize. You need to pull over right away. Water, you got to be really careful too. But you know what? The Holy Spirit is represented by oil. And then the idiot light comes on when we're driving a car and lets you know, hey, you've blown it, man. Get this thing fixed. Well, guess what? Those lights, don't call you idiot. I'm not calling you idiots, but I'm just saying those lights come on in our lives. They're symptomatic. When we're having infighting with different people, we're having a hard time with various people. You know, if I say, I, sometimes I say, if everybody stinks, sometimes because you have old moldy chews stuck in your mustache, it's you, you know. If everybody else stinks, you're probably got the, you've probably got the problem, okay? He's like, oh, good, I don't have a mustache. Well, you're missing the point, okay? So you have to, a lot of times things change. All of a sudden, if you start to love people, you realize, wow, they're just like you. 
They've done things and they, they need to be forgiven. They've said things, they need to be forgiven. But no, I'm more righteous than them. That's how the older brother had the mentality of the prodigal son, right? Now, and I look at Hebrews, you don't have to go there, but Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15, it says, without holiness, no one, it says, pursue holiness. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And it goes on to say, verse 15, make sure that no root, of bitterness springs forth and causes trouble, and many become contaminated by it. Wow. You can get contaminated. The crazy thing about roots, you can't see roots, amen? They're deep down in the ground. But the roots in the soil they feed on, those roots feed the tree. And if the Bible says, Paul says, that we're supposed to be rooted and grounded in love. So if you're rooted and grounded in God's love, amen, through prayer, through faith, through seeking the Lord and loving on him, then good fruit will come forth. But if you're rooted in death, sadness, hatred, malice, unforgiveness, resentment, bitterness, those kinds of things, that's the kind of rotten fruit that's going to come forth in your life. You're going to have a bad attitude towards a bunch of people. You're going to contaminate other people with words that you say that are ungodly. The Bible says the tongue could be a deadly poison. And man, there's a lot of poisons that are deadly you know, I've been working on some of my James messages already and been studying the tongue a little bit, so I won't say much about it, but I just was looking at all these different poisons, and there's so many talk, really bad poisons, but there's nothing as poisonous as the tongue. I mean, think of how many over, what, almost, not 100 million, but like 75 or more million people were killed in World War II. That began with a tongue that was set on fire from hell. It says the tongue be set on fire from hell, from Adolf Hitler who had a lot of resentment toward people. It's a deadly poison. But we have to look at the root. The root's our heart. And what's our, what's our heart rooted in? So we're supposed to guard our heart because out of it come the springs of life. And if the root where nobody can see but you is rooted in just anger and bitterness, it's going to affect others. You know? You mock people because maybe you're convicted from sin or because they addressed you and said, hey, sister or brother, you need to repent, or you need to get right. I'll just mock them and feel better about myself. Or they, 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 they said something that was actually not trying to be helpful, but they said something mean to you. They said, hey, you know what? You know what? You just, you know, you're a pathetic person. You're just pathetic. Now, I don't think that happens much, but that could happen. And that'd be hard to forgive, you know? Especially if they seem like a nice person, but they just pick on you, right? It's hard, it's hard to forgive. So what's interesting about this is the root determines what, where your heart's really at. If you're seeking Jesus and you recognize what he did for you and you're trying to grow in love and so forth, you can be, the Bible says don't be overcome by evil. Romans 12, but overcome evil with what? Good. There is a spiritual war going on. I told you some years ago about a uh, African village, which was thriving until one day people started becoming nauseous and dying throughout the entire village. And they brought people in to, to study what was going on. They knew that people were being poisoned. They're saying, who's poisoning these people? And they started checking out the water from the spring and found out that it had an incredibly high content of ba poisonous bacteria. They went up the spring to find out what in the world. And they didn't find anything until they came to the very mouth of the spring and they found a mother pig and her piglets had fallen into the spring and were trapped in some rocks. 
and their bodies were decaying. And that profuse decay was flowing down into the village. It was rooted. The root of that was where the spring began. Well, the Bible says, guard your heart because out of it come the springs of life. Amen? So if there is pollution in your heart and you refuse to forgive, the Holy Spirit, who Jesus said, is like a, 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 a spring of water that gushes forth out of your innermost being, right? That becomes impeded. Instead of that crystal, beautiful water, you bring forth stench and ugliness to others, and it's going to affect others. That's not good. So it's something that needs to be turned from. It needs to be repented of. See to it that there's no root of bitterness in you that contaminates or defiles many. Now, it's interesting because I remember I was a little kid. How many grew up and see me and you just remember Rocketdyne when you were young? See some hands. I'm not the only older guy here, right? Yeah. I mean, it would shake. Your house would like shake. Remember that? And I'd go sometimes. It was all the time. I and mean, they tested over 30,000 ballistic missiles and, or, or other rockets and ballistic missiles, all that stuff. And it was closed down in 2006. When I was a kid, I would go to the back window, the sliding glass window, and just listen to it shake. And then you could see smoke sometimes on the hills and behind you, you know, because in my backyard I could see this way. And actually, it was juxtaposed to where this Rocketdyne was in Canoga Park. And what's crazy about Rocketdyne is that, is that uh, UCLA, people started dying of strange diseases that were the tracks that were closest to Rocketdyne, not just in San Fernando Valley, but also just over the hill as well. And it was interesting because uh, the, aside from a, a radioactive nuclear accident they had years ago, uh, they found that operators were illegally burning radioactive waste and toxic rocket fuel in the open pits. Okay? There was nefarious illegal activity that was, you know... And as Christians, by the way, I think we should be... Christians should have a, be environmentally minded to a degree. Amen? In fact, we should be the best of all the environmentalists. Amen? When I mean best, I mean according to God's will. We've been given a stewardship over the earth. When the Lord returns, he says he'll destroy those who are destroying the earth. Okay? So we're not for that. Amen? But don't tell me I have to worship nature to be an environmentalist. Amen? And put nature before babies and everything else. Amen? Amen. You know, it's like homosexuals, they're like... They don't just want rights. I think you should have total right to eat and work and go to wherever I go and all that, you know. But they want me to celebrate what they're doing. I'm not going to celebrate what you're doing because I don't agree with what you're doing. I don't impede your right to do it. And when I say wherever I go, I don't mean in Christian fellowship with Jesus because that requires repentance, whether you're a drunkard or adulterer or homosexual or whatever. But we need to love one another but it's interesting here is that uh, in 2014, four-year-old Grace Bernstead of West Hills, a neighborhood that's close to the field lab, she developed a rare aggressive form of leukemia. And at the children's hospital, Melissa uh, met other patients whose children had rare cancers, really rare cancers. And some of their kids died, and the survivors deal with health problems to this day. When the parents... Uh, compared notes, it turned out that several of the pediatric cancer patients lived in the vicinity, vicinity of the field office where all these things had happened at Rocketdyne. Okay? And it's interesting. 
uh, in 2000, uh, UCLA School of Public Health in 1997 found increased death rates of field lab workers due to radioactive cancers. In 2007 uh, and 2010, the then governor, Arnold Schwarzenegger, his Office of Environmental Protection, negotiated agreements with NASA, the Department of Energy, the DOE, and also with uh, Rocketdyne. Well, they inherited Rocketdyne's and Boeing, but they inherited Rocketdyne's liabilities, and they negotiated a contract to clean the whole area up. Well, they still haven't cleaned it up because they say it's too complex of a problem. And it's pretty sad. And it's just interesting because um, some say it's hard for these people to prove that the cancer came from Rocketdyne because it's hard to prove a direct correlation, but the numbers suggest it has. But when you're burning in pits, you know, radioactive material, and, and it's affecting children, that's how horrific is that, right? Well, guess what? You can't control what happened there. But unforgiveness is like radioactive waste. It needs to be excised from your heart, amen? Because it will affect you, and it will affect others, and it will affect your children. And we need to deal with it. We need to pray about it. We need to say, Lord, get rid of this. And, and this is what's interesting. You might say, but it's such a hard thing. I've, I don't want it. I really want to follow Jesus, but this mountain of unforgiveness keeps appearing in my heart. It's a, like a mountain, Joe. It's, it's like a huge boulder. It's like a huge, deep-rooted tree of bitterness, and I can't uproot this tree. I cannot get rid of this mountain. Well, yes, you can. How do I know? Listen to Luke chapter, in fact, go to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, verse 6. This is a famous verse. Luke chapter 17, verse 6. And the Lord said, he's speaking to his disciples, if you had faith like a mustard seed, very small seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Wow. Wow. Faith is like a mustard seed. I can uproot a mulberry tree, which is a bigger tree in that part of the world. Well, did you ever understand, did you ever think about the context of this verse? Look at the context. It's very revealing, very helpful, very instructive to our own walks when we deal with any kind of sin, whether it's lust and addictions or uh, any kind of temptation, uh, any kind of thing that you are facing. This is interesting. Go to verse 3. Jesus says, be on guard. One translation says, take heed to yourself. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day, remember that? And returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, listen to what they said, increase our what? Increase our faith. Because they're like, well, Jesus, we want to obey your teaching. We want to forgive like you're saying, but whoa, seven times in a day my brother hurts me. And he asks for forgiveness, and I'm called to forgive him. By the way, Lord, you know how many times the Lord forgives you a day? Just for things you don't even know are sin. You know, thought life or whatever you're struggling with. They're like, Lord, I want to do this, but you need to increase our faith. Ha, you need to help us to put our trust in you more so we can, that's the key though. They realize, man, they need to look to Jesus rather than the person that hurt their heart. And it's in that context that Jesus says in verse 6, 
And the Lord said, if you had the faith like a mustard seed, you would be able to say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. In other words, the mulberry tree is a picture of how you can overcome these deep-rooted things that can dominate our lives. Faith in the Lord. Why have faith in the Lord? Say, Lord, increase my faith. Strengthen my faith. But he's saying if you just put your trust in him, even a little bit, you'll begin to see victory, amen? You'll start to see that tree uprooted and you continue to put your trust in him. Eventually, that tree will be thrown in the depths of the sea, which I think is interesting because Jesus talked about how he's buried our sins in the depths of the sea. Isn't that interesting? Now, I think it's interesting too because in Mark chapter 11, Jesus says in verse 22, and Jesus answers saying to them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, a mountain now, and does not doubt in his heart, but he believes what he says is, is going to happen, it will be granted to him. In other words, you just take the Lord at his word and say, Lord, I believe I can forgive. And you just have to make the decision. I'm going to let this thing go. By the way, forgive means to let go. Means to let go. In fact, mountains are a picture of huge, seemingly insurmountable problems or obstacles. In fact, Zerubbabel faced one such example. And uh, a mountain, they came back to the land from the Babylonian captivity. Remember that? And they had been, Nehemiah, they were rebuilding the wall. Now they're going to rebuild the temple and it seemed impossible because they had trash talkers. They had opponents. Just like the Middle East, they want to build the third temple right now, but it's really hard with the Muslims there. Do you understand? Similar problem. It's interesting. Parallel. And it's interesting. Look what the Lord said to Zerubbabel about rebuilding that temple and that mountain of a problem he faced. Do you know what they are? Replied the angel. My Lord, I answered. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain then he will bring forth the capstone accompanied by shouts, grace, grace to it. In other words, guess what? The temple is going to be built. That mountain that stands before you. You put your trust in the Lord and his word. He's going to flatten that mountain out. Amen. And whatever mountain you are facing that has hindered you in your walk, it doesn't just have to be unforgiveness and bitterness and malice, things like that. But whatever sin you've been struggling with, amen, amen. addiction, whatever, the Lord can destroy that. Just put your trust in him and, and pursue him in Faith, amen? amen? So it's critical that we do this. Now, this is, and I'm not giving you, uh, I'm not giving you uh, two messages in one. I have two messages that I wanted to preach on this, so I won't probably do it when I come back, the second one. I might. I'm going to pray about it, otherwise, or right back in Revelation, because I'm trying to finish that book off. And by the way, you know why we've been in Revelation so long? Do you know if you asked me, and I have no doubt about it, Dimitri, I could talk to you at the end. I remember your name. You came and visited a couple weeks ago. You pounded on that wall, man. But guess what? God got you around the mountain and in. Amen? Praise God. But I could talk after I saw your hand come up. Just because we're on tape and they can't hear you, there'll be a big lull. But praise the Lord. It's good to see you again, by the way. Lord loves you, man. Uh, so it's because if I was going to teach one book of the Bible whereby I could teach the entire Bible, for me, it's a no-brainer. That's the book of Revelation because it ties the entire Bible together. That's, so we've really been studying the entire Bible for the last, you know, however long. Because it's a great way because you just compare Scripture with Scripture, and it's the end from the beginning. It's beautiful. But guess what? So we'll do another message on this, because there's a lot I want to share with you on this, uh, as far as, well, what does this look like? But I want to give you some of what it looks like right now. Applying forgiveness 
to your life, okay? First of all, you need to acknowledge that you're refusing to forgive someone if that's the case. may not be the case. You might be, and I'm walking with Jesus. I've forgiven everybody. I'm going forward. Yeah, I still get bothered sometimes by things that happen to me, but I let it go. To forgive means to let go, right? You need to, the word forgive means to let go. You need to let go, okay? You need to also remember, forgiveness is not always reconciliation. Jesus said at the cross, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they do. Was everybody that he died for reconciled that moment? No. no. Forget, reconciliation takes two. Forgiveness just takes your heart, letting someone go from what they've done to you and not seeking retaliation or holding anger against them and so forth. Number three, I'm not going to give numbers. There's just too many. But remember that you are in a spiritual war and Satan is very real and spirits will try to put in your mind and keep bringing back to your mind things that have happened to you. Use the name of Jesus and say, get away from me in the name of Jesus if you feel the enemies try to put thoughts in your mind. Amen. Next, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Next, remember you are commanded, not suggested, by God to forgive. Remember, uh, well, remember you're not to, and it's important, you will not be forgiven if you refuse to forgive. Amen. Next, and I'm capping up, you know, bringing a cap on what we've talked about and adding a few new things real quick in the applications. Uh, realize that refusing to forgive others will bring you great pain, possibly physically, but ultimately eternally, if you refuse to forgive. Remember, it's not worth it. Okay? Remember all that the Lord went through. When you say, well, I've suffered more than anybody, it's absolutely not true. But I've suffered a lot. That's probably true with a lot of people. Amen? We all go through things. But guess what, man? Jesus was betrayed. He was lied about. He was did so many wonderful things. He never hurt anybody, but he, and that's not us. He was sinless. And he was lied about. He was betrayed. He was mocked. He was spit upon. His beard was torn out. They shoved a crown of thorns in his head and beat it in with a staff. Okay? His back was lacerated. He was nailed to the cross with huge nails. Amen? He was just, I mean, all kinds of beaten, put a bag over his head and beat him over and over again. Did he deserve any of that? None. Guess what? We deserve all that more. He went to the cross in our place. So remember that it's through him that you can forgive because it's like, well, wait a minute, man. I need to forgive, but I'm not Jesus, but that's the key. I can do all things, Paul said, through who? Christ who strengthens me. You have to cry out for God to God and say, Lord, give me strength to forgive. Help me have faith in you and trust you to give you power. You me the power that I need to forgive, okay? Rely on Christ's strength. Pray for the person who's hurting you. Pray for them. Matthew 5, Jesus said in verse 10, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you. Remember that you are blessed. And when they say all kinds of things against you falsely on account of me, rejoice and be glad. And he says, that's interesting because... He says, rejoice, be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, so that they will be, uh, so they persecute also the prophets who were before you. Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you and despitefully use you. Pray for them. And that's a huge key, I'm telling you right now. If you just walk out and you're saying, man, I know I need to forgive, but I'm struggling with it. If you forget to pray, you're not going to have the power. Right. If you say, if you don't pray, that's what the disciples did, right? They prayed, Lord, huh, increase my faith, Amen. 
way to go, Lord, say, Lord, this is, I don't think I'll have the strength to do this. This is a mountain in my life. And it could be a little pipsqueaky of a stubble, just a little pebble, but it becomes a mountain to you because you let the enemy let you focus on something that's so insignificant. Or it could be a real mountain. You could have went through a whole lot of horrific things. Either way, you need to say, Lord, give me, give me the desire and the follow-through and the strength, the power by your Spirit to forgive. And he says, if you ask anything according to his will, what will happen? You receive it, amen? That's why I know you can forgive. It's just a choice. God's not partial. Someone refuses to forgive. It's not because they just couldn't have been given the capacity by God's Spirit. It's because they're refusing to obey the Lord and say, yes, I choose to forgive and I rely on your strength. I love the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, because listen to what it says in the first stanza. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our griefs and friends to, our griefs, sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. You know, I think that Job must have been really, really hurt, not just by what his wife was doing, but by the friends I mentioned that he called miserable counselors because they were condemning him, having the worst, thinking the worst possible motives about Job. And then you see Job's, God says, you know, he declares that Job was righteous, not perfect, but that he hadn't sinned in what they were saying he sinned in. And you know what he says at the, near the end of the last chapter? In the last chapter, listen to what it says. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job. It turned the, he was still in bondage in some way. When did he turn his captivity away? When he prayed for his friends, it says. When he prayed for his friends. He turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. And also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. Amen? You know what? Pray for others that have hurt you. Pray that they would repent. Because if they don't repent... They'll be burning forever. If, they're, if they've actually sinned in their rebellion to God, and they don't get right, they're in big trouble. So pray. Don't let hatred hold you, amen? Don't let something that somebody did to you do you in, amen? I'm going to decide that you're not going to let what happened to you, what someone did to you, define you, amen? Don't let what someone ever did to you in the past define who you are, amen? Let what Jesus did for you on the cross define you. Let his glorious death for your sins, paying for your sins on the cross, and his glorious resurrection define who you are. Amen? Amen. Because if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away. All things have become new. Amen? Amen? That's what we need. Amen? Let's identify with Jesus, not something that happened to us in the past. Amen? Forgetting those things that are lying behind, reaching forward to the high calling of Christ Jesus. Amen? Let's do that. Amen? Let's pursue Jesus. Are you, gonna, are you in agreement? Are we going to do it? Are we going to go forward together? Are we going to have that short memory, last play mentality, next play mentality, amen? We're not going to have a last play mentality. We're going to have the next play mentality, and we're going to win with Jesus, amen? amen? Let's all please stand. Praise God. Let's pass out the cup and the bread.